welcome to another edition of the green beige podcast as always that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the bitch and we are here for another edition of the green beige podcast which is entitled we've seen the future how's it going aj ah it's all well if no usually we're talking about the weather well today is not that type of good weather day out here <laughs> like, like we've been discussing dallas is no place for cold weather but we are not suited for cold weather so the entire city was shut down today so luckily i got a, a very much needed day off to just relax and regenerate basically yeah that that sounds that sounds good for you that you got a day off um Today we, not so fortunate we, on your end no 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 definitely no it was <laughs> work all day long. um we had some we've been having some very cold weather over here mm. in Mountain Top for a while but i know that today dallas was colder than we were over here so that is you know that is mm-hmm. interesting <laughs> that mm-hmm. is always interesting when these places that aren't accustomed to snow get snow so yeah that's you know like i told you this is why when i have to consider where i would want to live on this this rock i'd rather be somewhere that when it gets cold they're accustomed to the cold rather than somewhere <laughs> that when it gets cold you know the sky is falling like chicken is i mean the flip side is if it's cold and they're not equipped for the cold then you get days off <laughs> yeah provided that you know your job and everything cooperates with the days off of the true days. true i guess it depends on what you do though yeah. yeah yeah so everybody probably did not have as wonderful a time as you did because you know some folks <laughs> will be wondering what their checks are going to look like on friday true so you know as i had mentioned we call this episode we've seen the future because as far as i'm concerned we've just seen what the future will look like in the nfl we know what we will get from three of the four franchises that were on display in the conference championship games and the quarterbacks will be thrilling us hopefully for the next decade patrick mahomes he was the oldest quarterback on display with an age currently of 27 and brock purdy he was the youngest at 23. joe burrow is 26 and jenna hurts is 24. that gives us if you add it all together 100 years between the four of them a flat 25 average and while there'll be time to get into the historical significance of what we'll see in arizona we've got a week with no actual football so we'll get some friends in here and we'll get everybody ready for the big game when we start preparing for it next week Mm -hmm. this week however we're going to start in the nfc championship game where the number one seed Philadelphia Eagles were hosting the number two seed and hottest team coming into the playoffs, the San Francisco 49ers. Yep, off the rip, we're looking at our championship weekend. Now, what unfolded is not what anyone could have predicted. On their first drive, Purdy gets hit by Philadelphia's Hassan Reddick, who forces a fumble, but most importantly, tears his UCL that's an ligament on the outside of your elbow and he has to come out of the game the defense keeps it closed but the offense can't get going and as bad luck would have it the backup and who would have been their fourth string quarterback josh johnson 
also gets knocked out of the game with a concussion, leaving a mix of Christian McCaffrey at Wildcat and Purdy throwing the ball gently two to three yards away. From the 49ers standpoint, AJ, that's where we're going to go. Is it time that we take a hard look at Kyle Shanahan? He seems to have a great knack for great run designs and getting quarterbacks hurt. Mm. Well, that is interesting. Um, if you put it that way, but I still don't think so after that loss. Um, I still feel like it's a knee-jerk reaction. Um, because, I mean, we can say that with, this is regards to the point you made in terms of like um, putting quarterbacks in the position to get hurt. Because, I mean, outside of that, I think this there's a start that we saw that the quarterback carousel, like the Niners have had like the most quarterbacks in, in Shanahan's reign as head coach there or something like that. Um, so it is a point of note, but at the same time, I still do feel like it'll be kind of a knee-jerk reaction to say that after this game because it, it, it kind of takes away from the Eagles' defense. Because um, let's be fair, I mean... It's not like the Niners were a bad team all throughout the season, right? Like, we know we spoke about – well, you mentioned the quarterbacks, but we all know the quarterback story. They lost Trey Lance early. Jimmy G was deputizing to him. He did what he had to do until the inevitable injury to him. Then he then Shanahan loses two in one game. No, quarterbacks get injured. It happens. But to lose two in one game, I can't necessarily put that on the head coach only. Um, or say that he's the main proponent of why that happened. It is, it has a lot to do with the Eagles' defense and that pass rush. To be very honest, um, so I don't want to take that away from them. And then, like everything else surrounding the the injuries, just it just it just made the offense fall apart. Offense was wasn't able to get anything. You know, like the the Niners had four receivers in this game. There were four. Four, only four people caught the ball for the Niners in the entire 60 minutes of play. Four people. One of them was a running back as well, right? In McCaffrey, that is. I, I think it, it it was just too much to take at that point. And, and again, to be fair, Shanahan is supposed to be the offensive mind. The offense crumbled, I think, due to the injuries. And again, I put that more on the strength of Philadelphia's defense. Something we'll get into a bit later as well. But on the day, the part of the team that like actually crumbled and did not look anything like what they had been during the season was the defense. We were penalized 11 times during the game as compared to like only four times that the Eagles were penalized in the same game. So I, I, I can't put too much on Shanahan. I mean, I understand that as a head coach, obviously, you have to be put under the microscope. But I think that this was just one of those days. And and again, I'll, I'll bring it back to the how you how you asked the question initially, I bring it back to the point that I give more credit to the Eagles' defense and that pass rush pass rush for being able to put pressure on the quarterbacks to put them in those positions than I would give blame to Cal Shanahan for putting his um, quarterbacks in that position. It, it's kind of uncanny to have both of those in one game, though. Okay, all right. So I'm going to give you some 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 information here. And let me know at the end if this causes you to adjust your perspective. All right. 
So Kyle Shanahan has been appointed as genius offensive mind and mm-hmm. credited with having this quarterback-friendly system that's supposed to be plug-and-play. But since he's been there, he's made questionable decisions with his quarterbacks from bad choices to bad luck to bad play calls. In 2017, going right back to the beginning, he was hired mm-hmm. to San Francisco and he had the second overall pick. He and John Lynch came in together and decided to move back one spot in the draft and allow Chicago to pick Mitchell Trubisky. This same draft contained Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, who the 49ers brass never even checked out for a workout, either of them, but decided to pick Solomon Thomas, defensive tackle, and the story is that they intended to wait on Get this, Kirk Cousins. Hmm? That is the quarterback that he wanted. They start the season 0-8 and and then get jumpy and trade for Jimmy G. This is Jimmy G with two starts and one major shoulder injury coming Mm -hmm. from New England. They give Jimmy the richest contract in the NFL that offseason, but in the third game of the year, he scrambles on the third down and a mile against Kansas City and tears his ACL. That's the bad luck that I spoke about. Because you can't expect that a man is just going to run and tear his ACL. Mm. Now, in 2019, they get all the way to the Super Bowl, but this is when Jimmy threw eight passes over two games. And then had a meltdown in the fourth quarter when he actually had to make some throws in the Super Bowl. 2020, the Niners had the opportunity to trade Jimmy back to New England to get Brady. But Shanahan thought that Brady was done. Jimmy misses eight games with an ankle injury. The Niners go 6-10, and 10, and Brady wins the Super Bowl with Tampa Bay. 2021 is the mega trade that they made to get Trey Lance. Well, they had the option to pick Justin Fields. But they still have Jimmy as a starter. This is after they tried to trade for Matthew Stafford, but LA got him instead. Jimmy plays another Poor fourth quarter. The Rams win the NFC title and goes on to win the Super Bowl. 2022, the 49ers seem to have an opportunity to trade Garoppolo to the Colts a couple weeks before free agency, most likely for a third-round pick, but they got greedy and decided to hold out for more. Then Deshaun Watson hits the market, and he was interested in joining the 49ers, but they couldn't trade for him because they'd already spent their next two first-round picks to get Lance. So once Watson hits the market, Matt Ryan surprisingly becomes available shortly after and the Colts traded their third-round pick for him instead of Garoppolo. Trey Lance is installed as starter, but in the second game, breaks his ankle running a quarterback power. Jimmy is back. Jimmy breaks his foot and Brock Purdy is in. Purdy gets them to the NFC Championship game, but somehow... Some way, they call a play, which puts a wide receiver and a tight end, not named George Kittle, to block the Eagles' sack leader and injury ensues. While this San Francisco offense is supposed to be quarterback friendly, the head coach's decisions or decision-making has put them in precarious positions, which has unfortunately led to the injuries to Lance and Purdy this season and completely derailed any chance of true success. This is not the hallmark of genius. 
All right, so I feel like you're, you're getting into another aspect here. With regards to the genius title, I know, like, I've, I've, I've never bought into that, right? I feel like genius is a stretch for a man who hasn't actually won this thing, right? So I've never actually given any credence to that. And if you know, I'm, I'm, well, I don't know if you know this, but I've never actually referred to him as that. I, do, I, I did give him credit in the past because I think that, and as you alluded to in, in, in your monologue just now, that he does have a quarterback friendly offense. And I think he does get some things right on offense. Now, clearly he does get some things wrong, as you just pointed out. Um, but if you're talking about the whole genius thing, yeah, I'm, I'll be with you on that. I ain't calling this man a genius. You, you, can't, you can't be a genius if, you, if you're always getting, like, always a bridesmaid, but never a bride. You know what I mean? So I, I debunked that one. I debunked that myth. Um, with regards to, to, so, okay, so that was a, quite a bit of information that you brought to me there. So, like, so to go back, <laughs> so just to go back, let me, let me try to, to summarize it. But in, in, with regards to, like, the decision-making as to who to bring in and whatnot, Yes, I, I I would have to say all right. I I'll, I will have to put Shanahan under the microscope a bit, but as well, those decisions aren't made by him alone. So I have to put John Lynch under there yes, even more. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So John Lynch has has to come under a bit more fire there. I I would say. I mean, because one thing that you mentioned that I I either did not know or completely forgot was that they wanted Stafford. Like, at this point, I honestly can't remember if I knew that at the time it was taking place, that they were interested in Stafford. But, and as you, uh, uh, again, went on to say that they wanted Stafford or, and then the Rams got to him first and then the Rams won the Super Bowl. Same thing with Brady the year before that, right? So the, the last two quarterbacks that, that they actually wanted. No, that they had a chance again. That they had a, they okay, so they had a chance, Brady, right. But didn't go for Brady. You say, yes, because you did say that Shanahan that Shanahan thought Brady was done. Okay, mm -hmm. so so that one is on him completely. The Stafford. So what was the reason for the Stafford one? Do you Just know the Rams? The Rams made a made a, a backup package. To, yeah. Okay. Okay. Did more to get him. So. Okay. Okay. So I mean, they missed out on that one. So with with all those things said, yes, I I, I would change my mind a little bit and say yes. Okay, we have to, especially with regards to the players that you mentioned. And I know that that was a point of discussion after the, the championship game with regards to, like, who. And, and knowing that Phillies, that, that um, front line of Phillies is so good, that defensive line of Phillies is so good, to not have the right personnel in the right places to protect the quarterback is an issue that this man who is leading the offensive, um, the offensive side is, is supposed to, to corral. He's supposed to fix. So, yes, I have to give him some... Have to put him under the microscope. Have to give him some level of culpability for that. <laughs> I, I'm not calling for his job. I don't think he should be fired or anything like that. But I do think he should come under the microscope a bit more. And um, yeah, that was basically. I feel like I had one more thought, but I just completely lost it. You could go ahead. No, that's fine. That's fine. I, yeah. I'm to be clear. I'm not calling for his job either. I'm not sitting here. Yeah, yeah. Saying today that Kyle Shanahan should be fired, but. When you have to to borrow a, a Lucian word, a little flecky quarterback like <laughs> Trey Lance, and you're telling him to run quarterback power, you're asking him to get hurt because what is he doing running up between the tackles? That's not yeah. what he's there for. And then I don't know how you can look at your offense and decide that Kirk Cousins is the, is the man to run it. 
Okay, yeah, I, I, that's the other one I forgot too. I, I don't even feel to touch on that because I don't know how to defend that in any way, shape, or form. So you could just right. swiftly move on past that. <laughs> All right, cool, no problem. So after we've talked about the vanquished, we must talk, to, talk about the victors. And mm -hmm. the victors in this case are the Eagles. Now, the Eagles are off to their second Super Bowl in six years and their fourth in team history. This was setting up to be a defensive showdown before the aforementioned injuries, and the Eagles did their job restricting the 49ers to seven points and 164 yards. Their offense didn't look as fluent or proficient as they normally would, but that wasn't necessary when the defense was keeping the opposition to 3.6 yards per play. Simple question. Is the Eagles D that good? Are they as good as they showed on Sunday? Uh, I let me put it this way. I don't think they're any better than I already thought they were. I, they didn't do anything on that day to convince me that they are that that defense is better than I already expected them to be going in. We already knew that that the secondary was legit, or basically the pass defense generally, because I, I I mentioned the the their pass rush, which is incredible, right? Um, because you just mentioned that they that. The sack leader comes from them. So, I mean, they get pressure on, on opposing quarterbacks, right? The secondary, good too. It was, they were the number one ranked um, secondary in the NFL during the regular season. So, we knew that much coming into um, the postseason. I think, and this is something we discussed with Justin ad nauseum, right? Their main weakness defensively is the, their inability or... Actually, it's not inability because they were mid about middle of the pack. Is there rather their inconsistency at being able to stop the run? But on the flip side to that is that they were the best rushing team in the league, so they they could control the clock by being able to do that. So on the so it, it was just that one area of weakness which a lot of teams were not able to exploit. And to speak to that aspect, their that rush defense, Christian McCaffrey had a, actually had a pretty good game against against them running the ball. The, the only thing is that, that um, San Francisco only had McCaffrey to rush about football. That's, that's it. It was literally only him. He, he ended up with like 15 rushes for like 80-something yards, which is like about averaging like five, five yards something per carry, right? Elijah Mitchell was supposed to be the number two to him. We know he got ruled out before the game, so he basically rushing with McCaffrey only. I mean, they tried some other stuff, and the Eagles' defense was that, you know, tried Debo on the sweeps and whatnot. And as great as Debo has been with these specific players, Debo is not a running back. I don't care what anyone tells me. He's not a running back. The real running back, McCaffrey, was able to eat up the defense. He did what he had to do, right? But lack of personnel on San Francisco's part, it, it kind of played right into the hands of the Eagles. And then having quarterbacks that couldn't get the ball down the field, couldn't, couldn't connect, couldn't throw anybody, it... It, everything just played perfectly into the Phillies game plan. So even when the offense was, was sputtering, like, like you already mentioned, the defense was keeping them alive. And then at, at some point, the offense was able to get things going piece by piece and, and equal the win. So I didn't see that. And this is not to be, this is not to sound bad or, or to keep um, trying to, to stuff down the Eagles, but I just didn't see anything that made me that made me pause and say, you know what? They're actually better than I thought. The defense looked exactly like what I thought it would look. Okay. 
That is fair. So for me, the D, the Eagles D is really good. There's no, there's no getting away from that. Through the regular season, they were second in yards per game to these same 49ers and seventh in points allowed per game. In the playoffs, they are first in yards allowed per game by a mile <laughs> and have only allowed a single touchdown in both games they've played. But the first game was against the Giants, who fell behind early, which prevented them from being able to run the ball as they would like. And then in this game, they took out the quarterbacks in this week's game. As we would have mentioned on WhatsApp, it's really hard to move the ball against elite defensive schemes in the NFL. And it's impossible to do it without a quarterback. And a lot of this comes back to Shanahan. Because your team is built to run the football, but you come out throwing the ball with Purdy and he gets hurt. Your backer has only been in the building for a hot minute and hasn't had many, if any, snaps with the, with the ones, but you don't help him out with establishing the run game, building play action, and the quick passing game. And this allows Fiddy to sit on all the short routes because they're not being threatened by the pass and play close to the line of scrimmage, which would give them some level of control over the mm -hmm. run game. But as you said, Christian McCaffrey had 15 carries for... Where is it? 84 yards. 84. So when you, you, you look at that, maybe if they were able to play credible offense in this game, things could have been different. Mm -hmm. But not having a quarterback, you can't play offense. You can't do anything on offense. Which is what we were both saying, just to, not to cut you off, which is what we were both trying to say in one of our chats earlier this week, right? Like Yeah, exactly. No, like I said, Philly is definitely elite on D. But again, it's nearly impossible to play offense before the quarterback. Just ask the Denver Broncos. <laughs> you know, I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to make note of this. So, McCaffrey had eighty-four rushing yards in that game, right? Mm -hmm. You know that the Niners ended up with eighty-one rushing yards <laughs> in total in the game. But yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was four people that rushed the ball as well because Debo ended up with minus. Which essentially wiped out the two other people who who carried the ball in that game. I think Josh Johnson had a couple, and then there was someone else. And then he wiped out and Kittle. There we go. And then he even wiped out three of three of um um CMC's yards. Yeah, here looking at the um the box score. The box score, yeah. McCaffrey, fifteen rushes, eighty-four yards, five point six average, one touchdown, twenty-three as the long. Kittle, one rush, four yards. Josh Johnson, two rushes, two yards, long of two. Debo Samuel, six carries, long of four, minus nine. <laughs> oh, so boy. clearly they were trying to do some of the same sweeps and stuff and just moving backwards when they put the ball in Debo's hand, which... Exactly. To be fair to Debo, should not be in his job description. He should not have to be rushing the ball six times in a game. All right, so that was the, the lesser of the games this weekend. Now to the more exciting game. The AFC Championship at Borough, well, actually, at Arrowhead. <laughs> yeah. You're so in, petty. You're so petty. <laughs> in the red corner, 
we had Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs, and in the white corner, we had Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. What should have been a really competitive, fun game of football was ratcheted up to the nth degree, thanks to some trash talk from the Cincinnati players and one ridiculous proclamation from the mayor of Cincinnati. After 12 rounds reminiscent of Ali Frazier, the Kansas City Chiefs stood with their hands aloft, vanquishing their nemesis Cincinnati, who had beaten them three straight and are on their way to the Super Bowl for the third for their third time in the Patrick Mahomes era. There are lots of talking points from this game, but I want to focus on the two quarterbacks who were phenomenal. Mahomes, playing on a high ankle sprain, went 29 of 43 for 326 yards, zero picks and two touchdowns, and three runs for eight yards, including the pivotal first down that drew the penalty and got them properly into field goal range. Burrow had a torrid first half, being sat three times, and was picked off. After some halftime adjustments, the Bengals clicked into gear and Burrow finished the game with 270 yards on 26 of 41 passing, one touchdown, and two interceptions. And might I add here that according to the next-gen stats, when um, Patrick Mahomes made his scramble, the scramble that he ran for the first down, Mm-hmm. That was the fastest he had with a high ankle sprain. That was the fastest he had run all postseason long. He hit 18.47 miles per hour. And every other scramble, the fastest he had gone was 14 point something. So with a high ankle mm-hmm. sprain, the man ran faster than he has gone at any other point. But I digress. My question to you is this. Is this quarterback matchup the next decade of... Brady versus Manning. Is this the new, the coming of Brady versus Manning part two? Mm. You know what? This should be a yes or no question, right? But I'm walking up to the line of scrimmage and I'm calling an audible here. I'll give you an answer outside of the box. I don't think it's that straightforward. I think this is actually a three-way match going forward. Okay. Because I'm still putting, I'm still putting um, Josh Allen in there. But I think this is, this is how it's going to be going forward. It will be these three quarterbacks leading their teams. And at some, obviously, at some point in time, we know that two of these guys are going to have to play because all three of them can't play in a, in a championship game, right? Mm-hmm. But it, 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 it is three because I, I can't take Josh Allen out of there. I can't. He, he, he is he's so integral to the Bills' offense and what he showed us so far that I think that is going to continue to be the case going forward. And it'll get to, it will get to the point where two of these guys will have to, to face off to fear the other one. And I want to put my guy Justin Herbert in there, but I'm not going to do that until Brandon Staley does not have a job as the head coach of the Chargers. But so right now, right now that one is in limbo. But to answer the question at this current point in time, I think it's going to be three of them, Ken. I would love to say that because the Bengals and Chiefs have been contesting the last two AFC championship games, that it'll be these two guys. But I cannot in good faith take Josh Allen out of this equation. I think it's going to be three. It, so it, it, it won't just be uh, Brady versus Manning because I think they're, the, the, the talent that the three of these have and, and how the offense is basically built around them gives uh, it gives a lot more... I, I really lost the word I'm looking for. Either way, it, 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 
it'll be a, 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 a more tightly contested matchup between three as opposed to just these two. I think that these three are on the top of that pinnacle as opposed to what Peyton and Tom were back in the day. Back in the day, it was two of them, and then you had your outliers, you had your Aaron Rodgers, you had your Drew Brees. I was like right below them, right below them, but they weren't like, you know, every year kind of. I, I think these three guys are the every year guys. Okay. All right. Well, <clears throat> with no disrespect to the Josh Allens, Justin Herberts, Lamar Jacksons, Deshaun Watsons of the world, these two young guns are the creme de la creme of NFL quarterback play. And there is a strong rivalry between the two. I know we've had epic matchups between Kansas City and Buffalo, but when you look at what these two quarterbacks can do, as exciting as Josh Allen is, he still has a notch or two to step up to reach the level of Mahomes and Burrow. These are my two favorite young quarterbacks in the NFL. And at one point in time, AJ, I was going to, to name this segment, I I hate that I love you so. Because <laughs> I was watching that game and hoping that Mahomes would pull it out. But mm-hmm. also wanting Burrow to play well. But knowing that Burrow playing well, chances are it meant that the Kansas City Chiefs were going to lose. That they could, yeah. So it was a hammy in a very difficult spot. So let me give you some quick numbers, right? Mm-hmm. For his career, Joe Burrow has a career completion completion percentage of 68.2, 11,774 yards, 82 touchdowns, and a QBR of 100.4. You know, this QBR, the, the maximum is 158.3. Mm-hmm. And this is after he was... And you said, sorry, and you said his is what? 100.4. 100.4? And this is after being injured his first year mm-hmm. and being beat to hell in his second with the most sacks in the league at 51. He averages 3,925 yards and 27 touchdowns per season. On current play pace, if he plays till his age 40 season, he'll have 78,500 yards and 540 touchdowns. Patrick Mahomes has, in six years, amassed 24,241 yards, 192 touchdowns, and a QBR of 105.7, with a completion percentage of 66%. He's hitting two of every three passes. That averages out to 4,040 yards and 32 touchdowns per year. Stretch this out to his age 40 season. He'll have 80,800 yards and 640 touchdowns. Oh, and this is including his rookie season where he played one game, Mm. had 284 yards, one interception, zero touchdowns, and a QBR of 76.4. We take that year out. If we were to divide this by five, you can understand what sort of numbers we're looking at. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. obviously, these numbers are dependent on avoiding major injury and no drop-off in production, but mm-hmm. this is the kind of class we're talking about. Josh, Aver- Josh Allen averages less yards, but one more touchdown per year than Joe, for comparison. Mm-hmm. And 
I did look at the numbers for your guy, Justin Herbert, mm-hmm. and he was at, let's do it. Let's see, I still have my calculator open. Hold on a second. I can tell you. He averaged out right now uh, 4,696 yards per year. 4,696? So, mm-hmm. so <laughs> if, we if we were going to, to make the comparison between the quarterbacks of now and the quarterbacks of old, if I'm saying that um, Mahomes and Burrow are Brady and Manning, then Justin Herbert has to be Breeze because Breeze. he's just putting up yards out there like Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. No, there's a, a definite rivalry between these two teams and these two quarterbacks are doing at an all-time level. For me, this is a yes. They are Brady versus Manning and this will be fun to watch. I mean, I can't argue with that, especially with the stats. Um, my my, the only the only pushback on it, and the reason why I would still keep Josh Allen in there is because, like I said, while his numbers, especially this year, may have declined a bit, I put a lot of that down to the way that this roster was built around him, and and the the utter reliance that they have, and how much is put on him to be the offense here. I think if that if that issue can get ironed out, then he'd be back up there with them. Because he has the talent, he showed it in the past. But look, Mahomes, I, I, Patrick Mahomes is on a different level. He has great and I and I love Joe Burrow as well, right? Mm-hmm. Joe Burrow is actually like arguably like my second favorite after because I I watched him coming through college and whatnot. I watched the national champions. Like I I was really impressed with this man from LSU and all that. So I kind of like I've grown a fondness for him. But you know, Justin Herbert is my number one guy, right? So Mahomes is on a different level when it comes to, to quarterback play. Um, Joe Burrow is is doing it at an elite level for his and for a man in the third year who spent an entire year injured. Yeah, he's doing something completely different. But I still think as well that the the team that the offense rather that was built around him is a lot more sturdy, a lot more competent, a lot more a, a lot a, basically a, a lot better of a uh, a lot better um, situated for him. As opposed to Josh Allen, who, again, like, if he doesn't do anything, the, the, the offense around him can't do anything. Joe has, uh, Joe has the other Joe, yeah. Joe has Joe Mixon. So even in a case where where the passing game might not be good, he has like this this running back. It's so obviously to be able to put them in position like play act, um, for play action, some RPOs, and like all, he has a, a plethora of offensive players at at his disposal, and I think that aids him a lot more. Josh Allen don't have that. So I, I, I'm not arguing your point. I could see where you would come from with that. That if you want to put it in, in perspective of yeah, a, a rivalry going forward, I, I can't necessarily argue, especially with the fact that we know that if if it wasn't for Tom Brady, Peyton Manning could have had more AFC championships and many more Super Bowls. So I get that. And it, it's become the same thing now for Burrow and for Burrow and Mahomes, right? Because each of them could have been to one more Super Bowl had they not had to face each other. But I, I, I'm not ready to give up on Josh Allen yet, and it hurts me to say that because the man is a bill. But <laughs> I, I really think, I really do think that he could still be up there if the Bills get their ish sorted offensively. Okay. So there's just one other number that I wanted to give you. Mm-hmm. Right? So this is year 22. For your boy, Tom Brady, mm-hmm. who is the passing leader in the NFL. 
Tom Brady for his career. He sits at 89,214 yards. In 22 years. So... It was a different time. <laughs> yeah, it was a different time. It's true. We do have one extra game. But yeah, that's when, yeah. When, when, when you look at where he sits now, and where Mahomes sits, and where he projects... The projection, him, yeah. Mahomes, by the time he is finished, if he plays as long as Brady is, has played, he could be the guy. He could mm. be the number one passer of all time. And, well, we don't know... We can't predict Super Bowls because we don't know what the league is going to look like, how teams are going to adjust and everything. Mm-hmm. But if he gets even even like a sniff close to Brady, then Brady's run as the GOAT might be short-lived. Oh, you think so? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I don't think so. I know so. I know so. Yeah, let me, let me, yeah. well, as you said, well, like we'll see how the Super Bowl... We'll see how, yeah, we'll yeah. see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, because yeah, right now yeah. he is one on one in Super Bowls. Mm-hmm. He's off his after his second one, yeah. and we're not we're not picking any teams to win the Super Bowl tonight because we got next yeah. week to do that. Yeah. So let's move on to the next one. So you know what I just said. You know, watching these quarterbacks would be fun. You know what wasn't fun was the officiating on Sunday. There were missed calls in the Philadelphia game that unfair, un, well ultimately didn't affect the outcome. But for the Kansas City game, the refs had a really hard time. We had a third down play that wasn't because the refs apparently tried to blow the play dead because of issues with the clock. But since nobody heard them, the Chiefs ran a play that wouldn't have gotten the first down. Only for the referee, Ronald Torbert, to announce that basically that play was not a play and the Chiefs got a do-over on third down in which Mahomes was sacked. Mm-hmm. But because of holding in the secondary, the Chiefs got a first down. That they punted that they punted after the next few plays is inconsequential. The big call, however, was on the scramble I alluded to earlier by Mahomes, who was shoved after stepping out of bounds by Joseph Osai, resulting in a 15 yards unnecessary roughness penalty. This led to the game winning field goal. So the question is of the day is did the officials ruin the spectacle this weekend? They did. They did. I honestly think they did. And that's not to say that their calls ultimately dictated the outcome of the game. Um, But the reality is they did, to me, ruin what could have been a more, and even more, believe it or not, tightly and solidly contested matchup, right? And you made mention of the two biggest calls that, that, that made the headlines. Um, that's, that's still being talked about till t- up to today. But there are a couple other calls that I feel like went under the radar that were missed that were also crucial, right? Uh, let me just mention them here. So one, it was a late hit on Joe Burrow by Frank Clark. I don't know if you saw this one, right? And I think it was on what ultimately ended up being Cincinnati's last drive. It was before the Burrow turnover, turnover essentially. Um, he got the ball off. He got the pass off. Frank Clark takes about three steps, knocks him to the ground. Right? And I remember Joe even getting up and looking to his ref like, like what? Like, where's the, where's the ref in the passing call? Because the ball is long gone, Ken. Long gone. It's, 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 this is not like Joseph Osai's play where he got a fraction of a second late, but you still have to get the call because it's a call. 
and by the way, I really just to, to, to sidetrack a bit, I really wish that rule had a bit more nuance to it. I really wish it wasn't so so black and white, like because I know we know that certain players like they, they get a little feisty on the sidelines and they tackle with it, the intent to kind of like to, to kind of like hurt the, the opposition, right? But in, in, in Osai's case, like, the man got there a fraction of a second late. It wasn't a malicious tackle. Now, granted, I understand it's still dangerous to push someone on, on that sideline because they could, they could push them into metal benches and all sorts of things. It is dangerous. But it, it kind of feels like giving the same sentence to uh, uh, someone who murdered in self-defense and someone who is a first-degree murderer. It, it, I, I, just, I just wish that there was a little bit of a difference to that. But... I digress. To get back to it, um, yeah, so that play, that should have been a rough in the passing call, obviously would have given Cincinnati a fresh set of downs, and they would have been able to possibly, like, had an opportunity to drive the ball down the field. But we don't know with absolute certainty what they would have done with that play, but still, they were essentially robbed of an opportunity. It was a late, it was a late um, tackle on Burrow. It should have been a rough in the passing call, right? Um, and then there's a second one, which which ultimately ended up sealing the game. Oh, you, you remember Sky Moore's return? Um, yes. There was a block in the back on that play, right? That was completely missed as well, and it should not have been because it wasn't it wasn't like within the 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 melee of everyone huddled up together. There was a block on on a. I, I'm not sure who the Bengals player was, who special teams player was, but essentially that block allowed Sky Moore to get right past and then get up to about midfield where they ended up starting their drive. Right? You can't miss calls like that. It was a block in the back. It was a block in the back. The 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 whoever the Bengals player was, he was not allowed to be able to tackle because he was pushed from pushed to the ground by his back. You can't miss these kinds of calls. You can't. No, I, again, I, I, I don't want to say that they are the reason why the Bengals lost the game because Joe Burrow did have the ball and turn it over in, in what I thought was... I, I, he had like a brain fart. I, I don't feel like he needed to force that ball. He had enough time to try and drive the ball down the field like in a more conservative manner, right? Try to take a deep shot again in double coverage. But this time, the, it was the Jerry Steen, and I can't remember who, who was the other player in coverage, but they were very much prepared. They were very much prepared this time. He didn't fool them this time. So, again, this is not saying that the referees caused that. It's Joe Burrow still had the chance. But you cannot miss these sorts of calls in games that will essentially come down to, like, come down to the wire, come down to these one or two plays. You can't do that. Okay. Now, those players that you may mention, I, I don't remember the late hit on Burrow. I do remember seeing him get up, looking at the ref like, what happened? Yeah, it was a late. I could actually send you the uh, because I to make sure I wasn't crazy. I actually went looking. I was like, nah, I know this had to be a late. I went. There are articles about it, so I could actually send you and you could review the players yourself afterwards. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's fine. No, um, you know, usually when we get into games like these, the refs they 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 try to stay out of it as much as possible. So when it's a ticky tack call, they can understand that you know you would say that the refs should let them play, but. With regards, especially the late head of the bounce, there was no way that they could not have thrown the flag in that yeah, particular yeah, yeah. Because Mahomes was one who had clearly stepped out of bounds. Yeah, yeah. And I feel bad for Osai. I do too. 
but you have to know where you are on the field. You have to you have to be aware of your surroundings. And if you recognize I am running after this man, oh wait a second. Coaches and other players are standing right there. Chances are maybe I should, you know, I should just hold mm-hmm. my hands up. If I have to go to the ground and skate on my belly, I I don't touch him. But that's that was unfortunate. Now there were multiple holding calls that I saw in the game mm-hmm. that weren't called. Because like, there was one in particular, I do not remember what the outcome of the play was. I think it may have been a first down for the Bengals when um Joe Burrow, he was he he moved a bit to his left, and the Kansas City Chiefs defensive lineman, like the offensive lineman, had his hand. You know, you can usually see that someone is holding when yeah. they're at the side and his hand is stretched out. Yeah, he was yeah. at the side of the guy with his hand stretched out, holding his jersey, and the rest didn't call anything. So mm. I was like, "But how do you miss that one?" So. Calls are missed. The, that happens in every game. And it is not on the level of some of the most egregious calls that we've seen they just lose their flags for. Like the Rams against the Saints and that pass. And why knew this had to come up? <laughs> when, 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 I saw, when I see this segment, right, I tell myself, I know can go back here, you know. Do you Have think to. about it? Have Do you to. think about it? Do you think? <laughs> but I mean, in general, though, yeah. when you look at this particular situation, all right. So with those ones that you mentioned, like I said, I don't remember those ones. But for mm-hmm. all of the big calls that I saw that the refs had to make, they made the calls correct. So then to try to put it on the refs is to scapegoat them when the blame deserves to go, you know, other places. So I don't think it's it's fair to the refs at this point. I I. I... I do agree with that, which is why I didn't even make mention of those calls, because I do believe that those calls were called correctly. I, the, um, the, what was the other one you're talking about? Again, the, 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 re, the third don't repeat. Mm-hmm. I, I think that was very unfortunate, but I, I mean, you have to understand what happened there. You have to understand. Yes. Because of the noise people didn't hear, but the play had already been blown dead. You can't necessarily get out of the rest for that. They did Correct. blow the play dead, so... <laughs> And then yeah. with Osai, again, as, sorry, no, go ahead. Before no, I was just going to say that because our head is so loud, nobody on the field heard it. Exactly, nobody heard exactly. It. So you cannot blame the rest for that. Um, with Osai, I, yeah, I, I feel for him. And you are correct. Like, you, have to, you, you do have to have a sense of awareness. And I think it's beyond that, not just a sense of awareness of where you are on the field. It has to be quick decision-making as well. Because when you're in that position... This this happens in any sport. You play sports, you understand when you are about to when you make a decision beforehand that you're going to, to make this play, and then something happens like and, and you have to like kind of switch off and be like, all right, yeah, I can't do this here. It's like going in for a tackle or or <laughs> or if you're batting in cricket and, and you see the ball coming here and you, you know you want to take the shot, but then it, the, the pitch uh, um suddenly turn on you uh, um the pitch of the ball that is let me turn on you and you're like, all right, yeah, I need to adjust. So you need to be able to adjust. Mm-hmm. He wasn't able to do that, so it's hard luck from his yeah, side. But it, it was the right call. Yeah, It definitely. was the right call. And he knows that too, which is why he was so torn up about it. But that's why I didn't mention those two. But the other ones that I mentioned, I think, were absolutely crucial to the game finishing in the way it did. But mm-hmm. I'm not going to say that they were the reason why 
Kansas City won or the Bengals lost. Okay, fair enough. So, from the officials, now it's official. The Denver Broncos and the Houston Texans have their guys. D'Amico Reigns was the most popular name today. And if it were true that you sneeze whenever someone calls your name, he may have created a hurricane all on his own. Between the loads of information and misinformation that was floating around, Reigns was the top option for both programs. And it had been reported that he had rejected the overtures coming from the Mile High City and was heading to Houston. What emerged today is that he was still being courted by the Broncos before finally deciding once and for all he was not coming here. And the Broncos quickly pivoted back to Sean Payton. Compensation with the Saints was agreed, which is the 2023 first round pick they acquired from Miami when they traded Bradley Chubb and a high draft pick for next year, which is in exchange for Payton and the our 2023 third round pick. For Ryans, he's made a part with Houston, with the Houston Texans for eight years, which gives him some stability in a notoriously unstable franchise. So, looking at these two teams as presently constructed, which coach will have the greater impact on their squads in 2023? Before I answer that, firstly, I need to start off by saying I'm I'm happy for the Miko Ryan's. Um as 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 black men who look at, who are fans of this sport, this game, we over the years have been lamenting the fact that that black other black coaches, black head coaches have not been given very many opportunities. So it was good to see that he was being courted by not just one, but by two teams. That he was a front runner for two positions and he actually was spoiled for choice. So congratulations to him on getting that job. Amen. I do hope it works out for him. Uh, the funny thing is that uh, even with him getting hired, we broke even because Steve Wills get fired again. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, look, um, poor Wills here. Yeah? Um indeed. Yeah. But and at the end of the day, it's it's, it's more of a homecoming for the Miko Ryans as well. Because what I had completely forgotten was that he, he was drafted by and played for the Texans for six seasons. So I'm pretty sure that factored into his decision as to why he chose them. Um, plus, what I also found out today is that, like, you know that Houston actually had the 11th best pass defense in the league? Like, the pass defense wasn't all that terrible. Yeah, the pass defense was actually pretty legit. Yeah, it was actually pretty decent. So I guess he has, like, something to work with now that he's going there. That being said, however, let me get into this part. I am very concerned for him. Um, with what we've seen in the recent years, the Texans head coaching job has become like a black hole for black head coaches. Right? It's like as soon as they as soon as they're ousted from their jobs, there they disappear into the abyss. No, a lot of that could be because these guys are older gentlemen. So at the end of having to deal with such a tumultuous and, and, and just disgusting and dysfunctional organization, you ain't want nothing more to, but just, to just go home and chill with your family. Because you ain't, you ain't feel like taking a... It was Lovey Smith before that. It was David Cully for a season. Before him, you know, Romeo Cornell was there for a little bit, right? Three, three older black guys. So, so it, it might, this might be different with in the regard that 
D'Amico was younger, and the fact that he said he said it was eight, it wasn't a six year contract. He said eight years. It's eight. Damn, I saw six on NFL Live. But either way, so they they they're trying to tie him in for a while. So it, they may be trying to turn the corner, but I am still kind of concerned because this organization is and has been for many seasons a dumpster fire, right? I, 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 that being said, I do hope it works out. But for 2023, I think that Sean Payton is going to have uh, a more immediate effect, positive effect. Putting, putting him a, a Super Bowl winning head coach who's supposed to be an offensive mind with that offense. And like I, and as much as I had been saying that Russ had been god-awful this season, this just-concluded season, I did also say that I expect him to be better next year. There's absolutely no way Russell Wilson could be worse than what he was in 2022. And if so, he should he should pull a... Um, what's the name of the man who retired halfway during the season again? I can't remember his name, but... The Bills player who had to retire like at halftime during the game. If Russell Wilson finds himself a few weeks into the league, into the season, playing that badly, just hang it up right there and then. Don't even wait. I do think that that Sean Payton can get this Denver offense rolling. Um, I still think that they're only the third best team in the division, but it's better than being the fourth. <laughs> so, <laughs> with regards to the Texans. The Texans have a long-term project on their hands with D'Amico. I don't think that they're looking for any success in 2023 because of the fact that, well, they don't have to go draft a QB. So their project is more long-term. So for the next season, I, I have to say that it, it would be Sean Payton. I, even, if, even if they're not like playoff bone, I, I still think they'll be better than, than what they were last year. And Texans, until we see something different, the Texans are the Texans. Okay. So this question for me is multi-layered, like an onion. But this yeah, is and endorsed this, by what? Yeah. Yeah. This this one is a made of glass. Now before I go any further, we had some comments that came in. Ricky showed us to Ricky. He said, in fairness, he was drafted by the Texans as you mentioned, and he was endorsed by what? Kirk said the only reason that he's going to Houston is because Texas is a tax-free tax-free state. <laughs> that really does matter in some quarters. <laughs> So, Reigns is known for his defensive notes after leading the San Francisco 49ers unit to a number one statistical position this past season. Peyton is an offensive mastermind who brought New Orleans their only Super Bowl and routinely had a top five offense in the league with an undersized quarterback and a bevy of weapons. Houston was the 27th ranked defense in 2022. That is even with having the great pass defense that they have because mm-hmm. they're just going to stop the run. This is yeah. a team that gave up 200 yards on the ground to um, to the Titans, I think it was. So, yeah, so that, that was always going to be a problem. Now, both teams do have pieces that they can work with on their coaches, specialized sides of the ball, but there are question marks for both of them. For Peyton, his best, his big question is, can he fix Russell Wilson? He's betting on himself to be able to do so. And I personally don't think that Russ is cooked. So I believe that Payton can work some magic and get this offense back to credibility. That said, he's still in what could be the toughest division in football with the Chargers and the Chiefs standing in their way of progression. Which I, which is why I believe is actually advantage Ryan's. The AFC South 
is almost as bad as the NFC South. And mm. right now, that division is wide open. The Jaguars have the best quarterback. The Titans have the best running back. But nine wins won this division last year, and the Jaguars went from last to first. The Texans were competitive in some games last season, and with a new head coach, they will be feeling better about themselves. So by virtue of an easier division, and they will have an easier schedule since, you know, they finished last, I say Ryans will have the greater impact improving their defense and moving the Texans out of the Southern Cellar. Have a lot of faith in the Texans. <laughs> I have I have more faith in Demico Reigns and that and that team, not the organization and the team that mm. they have for Peyton getting the Broncos from last to anything better than third. Fair enough. I so I guess I guess we 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 stand together in that regard because we both see Peyton like getting them to third at best, right? But I guess to me, I still think that'll be better than what D'Amico could achieve in 2023. And it's not because of his ability. I just don't trust the Texans organizations to Texans organization, sorry, to get everything right this season. They they're so badly run, I think it's going to take at least two to three years to look like the semblance of a football team. But I I I wish the man all the best. I I I honestly want him to prove me wrong. By the way, Vontae Davis, that was the name I was trying to remember. That dude <laughs> that retired at halftime, a legend. A legend. <laughs> it is true. It is true. So, AJ, before we get out of here, there's one more topic on the docket. CYA time in Big D. For the unenlightened amount of CYA, CYA means cover your, well, you know what. And if you don't know what, please Google it later. This is a family show. After making <laughs> googly eyes at Sean Payton and then disappointingly bowing out of the playoffs, Jerry Jones assured Mike McCarthy that his job was not under threat and that he wanted him to coach as long as Tom Landry did. Landry is a legendary and beloved coach for the Cowboys who was there for their first 29 years but didn't last as long as a snow cone in hell on a Sunday under Jerry. Jerry bought the team and Landry was gone before the court court thrice. Maybe Jerry means overall, but I hope McCarthy hasn't put too much stock into that. McCarthy has been empowered by Jerry to make changes to his coaching staff and that he has, with six assistants being either outright fired or not having their contracts renewed. And then Kellen Moore, offensive coordinator, eventually being dismissed as well. So before I go any further, AJ, for those who may not have understood the two references I gave, when um, Jerry Jones bought the team, he fired Tom Landry the same day he bought the team. He was gone before the sun set in Dallas that afternoon. Yeah. Now, Dan Quinn who was a hot head coaching prospect this cycle, agreed to return to Dallas. Now, what do you make of all of this upheaval in your hometown? I think it's simple. Dan Quinn is being groomed, for want of a better word, to take over this job. Mike McCarthy ain't going to last as long as... He ain't lasting as, as long as winter in Dallas as well. <laughs> he, he had his time. He will, he, he will come in, he will have his impact, and he will go and I think that is part of the reason why Dan Quinn would stay on instead of taking a head coaching job right now. That's why he would stay on as a defensive coordinator because 
he did his job well enough. It's not like Denver's defense looked bad in the playoff. It's the offense, which is why Kellen Moore had to go. <laughs> and 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 granted, I'm I'm not putting this solely on Kellen Moore. I, I think it it has um a lot to do with Paula's injury and Dak's generosity. But at the same time, it's not the first time that that Dallas's offense has looked inept when when the lights were shining bright, right? So you know, you know, as you say, CYA time. Like coaches didn't come under the microscope, so Kellen Moore had to get out of town, and he already, he already has, he's already gotten another job as expected. Um, but yeah, so that 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 was not too much of a surprise to me because the offense just looked like really terrible when when push came to shove. Man, there's no way Jerry would have gone into the new season with the same coaching staff. I don't think. I, I, the reason why he wouldn't fire McCarthy now is because I, I don't think that the team was terrible enough to cost McCarthy his job. It, it, it was just that one focal point, that one area. But another season of this, and McCarthy gone and Dan Quinn in. That's, that's, that's honestly what I feel is going to happen here. Okay. No, for me, this just follows the cycle of coordinators getting fired because somebody got to go. We saw it in LA with the Chargers. We've seen it in Tampa with Lethbridge, and now we've seen it in Dallas. I'm still waiting to see it in New Orleans, but I digress. Head coaches who are out of their depth. <laughs> Sorry, don't do it. Are you okay? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> she was not expecting that. <clears throat> Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I apologize. Um, head coaches who are out of their depth or underperforming and under pressure are in full CYA mode by getting rid of coordinators that, in some cases, did not deserve it. Probably the best performing unit in Washington was their offense, but they got rid of their coordinator because it's easier to fire him than to fire Ron Rivera in the midst of the scandal and sale of the team. Many people believe that Dan Quinn is the head coach and waiting for the Cowboys. And from that persp- perspective, McCarthy should be looking over his shoulder. And don't forget, not so long ago, Jerry Jones was batting his eyelashes at Sean Payton as well, who well, since he's decided that he's not firing McCarthy right now, has come over here to Denver. It's just like, you got a girl, but she's sweet on the boy that lives next door. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, pretty much. There's nothing more to add to that. Like, you, McCarthy cannot have another season. Cannot have another bad season because... Firing Kellen Moore and bringing in a new offensive coordinator is is basically saying, all right, well, you have one more chance here. We're leaving Dan Quinn here because he did his job. You're going to have another chance. If, if you don't get it right this time, that's all the excuse they need. I never know. If if Russ is as terrible as he is last year and Sean Payton decided he's sticking around there neither, Jerry might go back and court him again too. Jerry has no shame when it comes to No shame in Jerry game. None. None. None or whatsoever. None. None. Jerry. If you feel he wouldn't drop Dan Quinn at, at, at a dime if Sean Payton came running through. Ah, look. Jerry Jones is always at the bar with his pocket full of money and willing to buy somebody <laughs> a drink. That, that is Jerry Jones right there. As you said, there is no shame in his game. He None, is man. at the bar every night. Oh, yeah. Just waiting oh, to yeah. see what is there to be had. Kurt said that, you know, his wife isn't here, so he was safe. His wife is a Dallas Cowboys fan. So he's not he's not best pleased with what has transpired. That um, no, we see that Mike McCarthy is going to be calling the plays. 
I can only sympathize. My wife doesn't watch football, so she just has a oh, problem with me in this. You know what? I I completely forgot that. So you're right. He's not even getting an offensive coordinator. He's the one calling the plays. So there, there you have it. That's confirmation. They're setting him up for failure. But that's going to take over. Yeah, there we go. That, that makes even more sense now. Yeah, but you know, there was a big question when he got hired in the first place because mm -hmm. he he called the plays all but one season while he was in Green Bay. Mm -hmm. So when he came over to Dallas, the expectation was, well, chances are he's going to fire Kellen Moore because he's going to call the plays again. Mm -hmm. But Dallas had a good offense the season before he came. So he decided he was going to keep Kellen Moore on. They had a good offense again the next season. So Kellen Moore hung around. They had a, a relatively decent offense this season. Dak Prescott led the league in, in uh, interceptions, even though he missed five games. I don't know how that's Kellen Moore's fault necessarily, but Kellen Moore then, As I said, Dak's generosity. Exactly, but Kellen Moore didn't cover himself in glory at all when they got into the playoffs. He didn't. So, did so now it is time. We knew that the writing was on the wall, just like how um, he, Mr. McCarthy, should also understand that the writing is on the wall. As we have the saying in the Caribbean, that sometimes you, people morning words and evening words don't match. And with many cousins, <laughs> Jerry Jones, you take whatever you hear for as what it is for right now. Because should the right circumstances occur, Things are going to change and change in a hurry. Mm -hmm. So, it that's a great spot for us to end this week's show. We, we've done pretty good on time today. And yeah, not too bad. Yeah, yeah we, we've had a good time. We've, we've talked about some, some stuff. And for all of you who are with us, you know, we thank you for any of the time that you've afforded with us this afternoon, this evening. Um, well, Ricky's asking if Byron Leftwich is going to stay unemployed. We will see. That's all. Everybody doesn't have an offensive coordinator yet, so yeah. he still, he still has an opportunity to, to pop up. Somewhere. The night is yet young, Ricky. Something can happen. I feel, man. Of course, but of course, Ricky, we can probably save this question for you for next week because exactly you'll be here with us, and Justin will be here with us as well as we will get you guys ready for the Super Bowl, and then they will return to help us break down everything that occurs in the big dance and of course we always remind you tell a friend let somebody know about the green bitch podcast we we have a lot of fun here we enjoy ourselves and we want to be able to share this with as many people as possible so tell somebody else about the show and of course like subscribe and hit that notification bell so as soon as we start you will know and then you can always join in with us also so as always on the green beige podcast that is aj he is the green i am ken i am the beige and we will see you next time